What the sus? 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 Welcome back to another episode of What the Sus, folks. My name is Rebecca. And I'm Alex, and we're your new host for this episode. We will be rotating through our hosts as we make new episodes. That way you get to see a few different perspectives from a few different folks. And let's get right into it. So how are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing very good. Today we're diving into the world of single-use materials and our interactions with them in our daily lives. It's a topic that affects us all and the planet, whether we realize this or not. We will cover what we are referring to, why they are bad for the environment, where they came from, and basically everything you could possibly need to know or think of. We will start by looking into the historical linearity of our systems, what this exactly means, and what other options there are for our listeners. Next, we will investigate the issues we are currently facing with waste and single-use materials, and finally, we will try to illuminate some tangible solutions we can use to reduce our use of single-use materials. Before we get ahead of ourselves, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording on the unceded territory of Mi'kma'ki. It is important that we acknowledge the traditional knowledge held by the Mi'kmaq and consider their perspectives as we discuss issues related to sustainability. We feel it is especially important to acknowledge how their belief systems and traditional knowledge held by Mi'kmaq teachers and other indigenous communities uh, in Canada specifically represent the value that is both intrinsic and realistic of nature. This recognition creates the respectful and sustainable use of resources to provide for the next seven generations. It is interesting to consider the ways our current climate crisis could have been mitigated had the beliefs and cultures of indigenous communities been able to proliferate, instead of suffering the attempted eradication that came with colonization. The damages of colonization are felt deeply across Canada today, and only through awareness, education, and intentional action can we create meaningful reconciliation to repair these damages. We are all treaty people. Let's begin. So, the word single-use has definitely been a buzzword in the world of sustainability. When you hear the term single-use, Alex, what do you think of? I think about the odd situation we've been in the last few years to, big old air quotes, save the turtles, by eliminating the use of plastic straws in pretty much every fast food restaurant that exists. Right now, we have those soggy paper cardboard straws, which I hate with a passion. And I also know that a lot of people feel the same way. My personal gripe with it is that it shows how quickly society can change for the better, given they have a good reason. However, I don't feel like a straw going up a turtle's nose is necessarily a good reason, and we could have a lot more appropriate methods of bettering our future. I also don't like that I can feel them disintegrating in my mouth as they break down. Those are all really valid points. (laughs) This campaign raised a significant amount of awareness about single-use plastics and the broader issue of single-use materials. But let's broaden our perspective now to look beyond plastics and into other single-use materials. Uh, Our concern for this episode is not going to be single-use plastics specifically. We're going to be using the word single-use a lot, and we're not going to necessarily specify what we're talking about. We're basically, whenever you hear us say the word single-use, think of anything from a 
plastic toy that got bought at Dollarama to plastic bags to paper straws or even the paper bags that are supposed to be a better alternative to plastic bags. Precisely. We're not only interested in discussing the environmental impacts of these commodities, but also the problematic ideas that have shaped our economy, making single-use a preferred choice for corporations. Now, Alex, could you shed some light on these ideas? Of course. So there are two macroeconomic concepts that are important to our listeners, and they need to be able to understand and differentiate between the two. First, we are talking about linear economy, and then we'll talk about circular economy. So the concept of linear economy is basically a product has a cradle-to-grave life. It is created, used, and then disposed of or destroyed. Whereas a circular economy is it is essentially the same idea, but there's no actual end-of-life period for the product. It just becomes reintroduced back into that system at some point. So think of it the same way that your third-grade teacher explained recycling to you. You take a plastic bottle, you use it, it gets recycled and made into new plastic bottles for somebody else to use down the road. And basically, this system is designed to retain waste within the economic cycle, and products and packaging are created in a way that enables them to be repurposed, reused, and add further value. That's actually super interesting. Let's think about our natural Earth cycles and how they are cyclical. Cyclical patterns are the natural state of the planet's resource cycles, and for example, decomposition and regeneration are all natural concepts that honestly should be replicated in our own systems. It just makes sense. So on the circular economy that we just discussed, we can recognize that this significantly reduces how much waste we produce and involves reusing resources as much as we possibly can before they can reach the end of their life. Why don't we follow this system? It sounds like a simple way to cut out the need to find a place for the wasted product, like in landfills or waste management facilities. Why have single-use plastics become so prevalent if they're so clearly unsustainable? I totally agree with you. Our Earth is working hard to regenerate these resources, and so far it seems that we just don't really care, and we just want to consume more than there is. There's a bit of history behind single-use materials, along with the fact that simply throwing things in the landfill was an easier solution to deal with unwanted waste. This environmental impact was significant enough that even Canadian government passed a law in December of 2022 banning a selection of common single-use plastics. Whoa, that's awesome. It seems so rare that legislation actually gets passed that can create a positive change like that. You're right. It's definitely a step in the right direction, and unfortunately there is a lot that we must unpack about this problem before we can really start discussing solutions. For example, Rebecca, do you know anything about the roots of our economic system that I mentioned? I do, in fact. The current system was developed in conditions of high competition and assumed resource abundance. Before the advent of mass transportation, communities made their own products. They harvested their own materials, practiced skills to turn them into products, and shared them locally. With the start of globalization, however, materials began being sourced from the global arena, meaning that already wealthy countries could harvest resources from vulnerable ones and reap those benefits. The linear approach stemmed from the early days of industrialization, when the primary goal was to maximize output and profits. Using low-cost materials and designing products for a single purpose enabled manufacturers to produce goods quickly and at a lower cost. This strategy was consistent with the economic principles of efficiency and cost-effectiveness, which were highly valued during the Industrial Revolution. So, 
Why does sustainability suffer when the economy grows globally? Well, connecting our economies globally also increased competition. This encouraged producers to adopt business models that prioritize obtaining the most valuable resources. The regulatory and fiscal rules put into place did nothing to account for the costs of waste and therefore did not require producers to deal with it in any specific way. Yeah, I guess under these conditions, it's not hard to imagine that companies would just start pumping out products, right? Like, why do we need 20 different brands of toasters and air fryers when we know that they can each give me a piece of toasty toast, which is all I need? Exactly. It would be misguided to not say that this linear economy we are referencing is absolutely a function of a capitalistic system. The idea of unlimited growth that shapes capitalism led to nations disregarding the impact of their products so they could focus on simply producing as much as possible. Basically, producers recognize that designing products with a limited lifespan, also known as planned obsolescence, would generate a constant demand for replacement, ensuring consistent streams of revenue. So just to quickly speak about planned obsolescence, it is essentially the design practice of creating a product that's supposed to fail. So it's really common in pretty much every industry, specifically the car industry. Essentially, there are many manufacturers that design a car to only exist for 200,000 kilometers or 300,000 kilometers and then force you to buy a new one or pay such an outrageous price to repair it, it's the same price as buying a new one. A take-make-dispose mindset was created and is what gave rise to the linear economy making single-use plastics, packaging, and other products. This became an appealing choice for manufacturers due to the fact that they could increase their revenue with economic growth as the only goal with no concern for the environmental impact or social impacts. It makes sense to start making products that can be used one time. That way, you have to keep buying them. If one of my products breaks, I'm obviously going to get a new one because I need it. Absolutely. I have at least half a dozen broken things that are all identical sitting in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, and it's not because I want to be purchasing more products. Yep, and then they can keep selling them and making a profit. This results in two realities. Firstly, half the world's population consumes goods that are produced at an artificially low price, often completely oblivious to the detrimental consequences that their consumption patterns generate. And conversely, the rest of the world bears the burden of damaged resources and depletion and precarious manufacturing standards. This dichotomy in consumption and its resulting impacts are growing increasingly extreme. These are heavy issues. What we really want to explain here is that the overproduction and disposal of single-use items not only depletes our natural resources, but also exacerbates environmental issues such as the climate crisis. I actually have a few statistics that can help explain this intensification. Consider that in 2022, Canadian household consumption increased by 10.2%, which is the greatest increase this data has seen since it began being recorded in 2008. Aside from that being super scary to hear, it's not at all surprising to hear that people are running to corporations willing to sacrifice their social and environmental well-being to keep excessively manufacturing goods. These producers are not held accountable for the waste and impacts they create, and there is always incentive to keep producing. Trend cycles have increasingly fast turnover, technologies are built to malfunction sooner, and the historic foundations of capitalism promote their linear economy and single-use products rather than striving to optimize reusability and quality. Okay, so we understand that companies are concerned with profits and not the impacts they produce. This isn't news. But it helps us understand this foundation, which makes single-use production so prevalent. 
It's also obvious they are bad news for the environment, especially if the Canadian government has decided to step in. What I'm really intrigued about is all these impacts we keep referencing. What are the current issues we face due to single-use plastics, packaging, and products? Let's unpack that question. So each material we use has an impact because of our linear economy. Much of what we use gets wasted and dumped off the edge of the linear system. Just because we dispose of something does not mean that it simply goes away. A circular economy has tools for measuring the impacts of a product at every stage in its life cycle. So the cost of waste that isn't accounted for in the linear economy can be measured. For instance, there's Environmental Impact Assessment, or EIAs. To determine the best way to carry out production, given municipal, provincial, and federal regulations that are in place currently. Ah, yes, the EIA. Something we as sustainability students have become very familiar with, as they seem to come up in almost every sustainability course you could take. Uh, And if it's not EIAs, there's usually some reference to a handy little tool called a life cycle analysis. Life cycle analyses attempt to quantify the impact of a material at each stage of its existence. The stage typically involves extracting resources, producing goods, consuming them, and finally disregarding them as waste. Life cycle analyses and environmental impact assessments seem like such clearly necessary tools to use when making decisions that have potential to greatly affect our planet, which tells you why they come up so much in sustainability. Although the need to examine each stage of a product's existence seems obvious, it was not until the 21st century that the analysis tool really took off. I guess once we really started seeing the effects of our production, people started recognizing how important it is to take stock of these impacts before we make big decisions. In 2015, research done by the University of Georgia revealed that up to 12.7 million tons of plastic per year reach our oceans. Unfortunately, the UN Environmental Program also reports that material consumption in Canada is almost a third higher than in the United States, two times higher than in Europe, and the world's average, and 14 times higher than in low-income countries. While we in the HRM have a valuable garbage sorting system, it's important to note that 91% of all plastic isn't recycled at all. These plastics, whether through flaws in our waste systems or direct pollution, instead end up in our environments and even our bodies. What? In our bodies? Am I made of plastic now? Plot twist, folks. The Barbie movie is real. Yes, plastic can get into our bodies. Uh, What I'm referencing are microplastics, which is when a single piece of plastic gets whittled down or broken off and is less than 5 millimeters long. They're easily ingested by humans, whether directly or indirectly, due to possible contamination of microplastics in the soil we grow our food from. This makes plastic waste a risk to all humans alive today, and even ones not yet born. Conversations around the impacts of single-use plastics were stoked in 2020 when the first evidence of microplastics was found in a human placenta. In case you're wondering how it ends up in a human placenta, uh, it's pretty easy to tell that plastic makes its way everywhere, even around the globe. This doesn't mean that these risks aren't still disproportionately placed on vulnerable countries. Considering that the 9% of plastic that does make it to the recycling stage is often shipped away to Southeast Asian countries to be incinerated. Yeah, and these processes are hugely detrimental to humans and the environment, releasing fumes and smog that can cause rashes and even cancer. A town in Malaysia suffered impacts like these in 2019 due to the lack of standardized systems in place to deal with the waste that was sent there. 
So single-use plastic and products is starting to seem like a huge factor in the climate crisis and its inequitable impacts around the world. In recent years, us in Nova Scotia have seen a significant increase in floods, which is a predicted weather outcome of climate change. But get this, in 2022, floods were the cause of more than 1,700 deaths in Pakistan and affected another 7.2 million more in Bangladesh through damage to homes, crops, and infrastructure. In Nova Scotia, we have just started to experience the firsthand effects and tragedies that come with adverse environment impacts. While people in places like Bangladesh have been suffering for years from the impacts of products that provide benefits to wealthier other countries. Producing things that are made to be disposed of is very obviously linked to the seemingly insurmountable amount of waste we have on the planet today, which is dangerous for humans for a lot of reasons. We haven't discussed the amount of carbon or other greenhouse gases that are released by decomposing plastic, which is yet another impact that we don't even have time to go into today. Okay, so as consumers, we've been sucked into this linear economy in which we are primarily offered products that will soon become waste that threatens our health and ecosystems. Are people doing anything about it, especially considering if we transition into a circular economy, there is a potential to make profit from our waste? I would like to think that even the worst hardcore capitalist could support that. You're right. There are countless opportunities that a circular economy can provide us or offer us, and some of them are even economic advantages. To answer your question, though, people are trying to find solutions for our waste. In Nova Scotia in particular, leaders have long been improving our waste systems, and we have had the highest waste diversion rate of any Canadian province, actually. We're taught to sort our waste between compost, plastic, glass, metal, and paper recycling, and garbage. Once we've sorted our waste, it is picked up by the municipal waste system and dealt with appropriately. Much of this, especially the compost, is decomposed into nutrient-rich soils, and recycled materials are transformed once again into similar products, and garbage is buried underground in landfills. These are great systems, but they still falter in treating waste as waste, instead of as another potential product. A new pilot waste management facility in Chester, Nova Scotia, however, has embodied these ideals of a circular economy. This facility is called Sustained Technologies. This facility is completely innovative and is one of the only ones of its kind in the world right now. The waste management facility is able to take normal, black, or clear garbage and separate, clean, and process it until it is formed into entirely new products. Biomass is turned into biofuel pellets, which can be burned for energy, but is also being tested to form fertilizer for crops. Plastic products are turned into synthetic fuels, and they don't use combustion to do this. Only a few small amounts of material are burned off, and this is the only real waste the facility leaves. This is such an impressive facility. Those in the sustainability program here at Dow have performed life cycle analyses of the processes that go on in this facility in one of our required courses. This was a great opportunity and gave us firm evidence on the benefits sustained serves to provide. This is still a pilot project and testing and improvements are ongoing. They do have large goals of implementing facilities like this all over Canada and the world once the pilot project is complete. This is exactly the kind of developments we love to see in waste management. If these can be implemented as a standardized system, it would create huge strides in the direction of a circular economy. Progress like this is still a while away though. And I have a feeling that there's a lot of other ways we could reduce the impacts of single-use products, plastics, and packaging. You're absolutely right. An issue like this is something we as consumers really face head-on. 
We can create and change our own lives simply by opting out and choosing to only buy things that, that can be recycled or reused. Places like Sustained Technologies are prime examples of us having the technology or ideas for solving sustainability issues. We just need to find the funding, allocation, along with the political buy-in and social buy-in to make it happen. And if you're listening to this and think this is a great business idea, take it on. There was a business model that followed this. That was the tear shop, but recently they have closed down. So if you're interested, take a stab at it. Like our last episode's topic of food insecurity and most sustainability issues, the history and future of packaging materials is a wicked problem that is massive and complicated. We as consumers can remember that when facing these issues, small acts of individuals can add up to create large-scale improvements. As part of today's episode, we have plenty of versatile ideas that can align with diverse lifestyles. In an effort to reduce our impacts as individuals, let's dive into some ways that we can help. What type of mindset should we use when approaching this issue, Alex? What we should remember is to consume smart and shop responsible, and always try to look for a way to reuse sturdy packaging. During the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, individually wrapped products were heavily prominent for good measures. We had to take a step back during this time to be mindful of how our actions can put others at risk. Contamination and transmission are issues which we faced, and this was combated with disposable test kits, masks, and gloves. There was an increase involving single-use items and an increase in non-biodegradable waste. In hospitality industries, restaurants started, started adopting paper straws and alternative paper packaging for takeaway food. Bulk Barn sells products and produce in bulk in the HRM and they allow you to reuse your own personal bags to purchase. We can provide you with a list of some creative ways to promote a circular life cycle for single-use packaging that could suit your own living situation and lifestyle. In high school, I had a big issue of feeling guilty on using Ziploc bags and plastic Tupperware containers, such as cling wrap and tinfoil. But now we have an idea for you to use in replace of these. These are beeswax wraps that we can use for covering food. We talked about food storage in our last episode on food insecurity. Now in this episode, we want to share a sustainable design on how to make beeswax wraps for food storage and personal packaging. Beeswax wraps can be made using cosmetic-grade beeswax pellets, some fabric, a brush to spread the wax, and something you can use to hang dry the fabric. A temperature of 200 degrees Fahrenheit is good to melt the pellets. Also, if you are stopping by the Halifax Seaport Farmer's Market, definitely check out the Honeycomb Homeworks stall where they sell similar products. That's a really cool idea. Also, side note, if you want your jackets and stuff to last longer that are like denim or leather canvas, you can do the same thing to them. They'll last like three times as long and they're waterproof. Egg cartons can be used to sprout seeds and basically start your own mini garden. The material can hold some water and provide the moist environment the seeds need to grow. Now let's get into a big explanation on milk bag mats. So making milk bag mats can also be done with sturdy plastic bags. So we're going to visualize a milk bag. It's rectangular and thinner towards the top and thinner towards the end of the bag. So horizontal strips or horizontal ribbons of the bag can be cut and the thinner cuts towards the ends can be used to weave in the ends of the mat when finishing. 
To make the mat, single ribbons in chains are weaved into the length on an easel. The easel can be fastened with nails to create the width of the mat. The vertical length of the mat can be created by chaining single ribbons together. This can take up to months to make, but provide some cushion between the ground and a body. You can use or donate them. And it might be hard to source so many milk bags. The same process can be completed with sturdy plastic grocery bags and thin produce bags that can be used in place of the thinner ribbons. We can also be mindful of the packaging our technology comes in. And if you're looking for a hobby to pick up, definitely crocheting. This is a great way to make handmade gifts during holidays that are packaged free or that use up discarded yarn and turns them into some very cool handmade work. We want to encourage mindfulness and packaging materials for single-use products. We as individuals can combat linear waste systems through encouraging actions leading to a circular economy. While we love to magnify the importance of individual actions and choices on what the sust, systemic problems require systemic solutions. As such, it is equally important to acknowledge and support the ways in which we can produce systemic change. Action should be taken at higher than the individual scale to work towards global goals, such as the Sustainable Development Goal 12, which is responsible consumption and production. Uh, This requires a quality over cost paradigm shift. We want to recognize that economic value does not often reflect the true cost of making new materials and can be cheaper than rescuing or revamping old materials. This shows the importance of the right to repair laws, which basically gives consumers the right to continuously maintain the same product as opposed to replacing it when a component breaks. Uh, A little example I have of this is I bought a coffee grinder a few months ago and accidentally dumped the center cone into the garbage. Oh my gosh. And I emailed the company. I'm like, hey, can you send me this like 20 cent part or I'll pay shipping, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they told me they'll give me 20% off of a new machine instead was a fun answer to get anyway back to the point um this right to repair law is becoming more and more important as we go through society and the more a certain type of recycled product is in demand the more it will be funded the less demand there is and the less it will be funded and the manufacturing of new materials often exists at larger economies of scale lowers the cost per product so basically if you produce a thousand units you'll only be paying 30 cents per product as opposed to making 10 and paying two dollars a product More to the note of economies of scale, this whole concept essentially rewards itself and creates more opportunities for this to exist. Established manufacturing processes are incentivized to remain that way because many people depend on these manufacturing jobs. To kind of finish off our systemic changes section, we're going to kind of give you a rapid fire list of slight systemic changes or major systemic changes that could produce significant impacts into the future. So one of the main innovations that could help significantly is expanding the scope of circular economy. Many people think of circular economy as something that can only be introduced to product lines or specific products, whereas it can be introduced to whole companies or even to mining operations. There's no shortage of ways that we can reintroduce circular economy into industries that it normally wouldn't be presented with. The overarching theme for a systemic change that could really help in the fight to create a circular economy, or even just to create a more sustainable linear economy, is the redesigning of products. Um, Three main ways companies can do this is by creating repurposable products, really well-made products, or multi-purpose products. So to get to the point of really well-made products is think about your grandmother's cast iron skillet that she has. 
chances are it was her grandmother's or her grandmother's before that, and it has been used for everything every day for hundreds of years. And they always talk about how great they are, and that's because they were just great products. They didn't need to be replaced. There was no intention of making more money off of people other than if they bought a second skillet to go with their first skillet. To continue onto that path and get more into the multi-purpose side, um, examples such as like kids' car seats that grow with a kid, those are great ideas because instead of buying and replacing the same six pounds of plastic over and over again and getting 18 or 20, 40 pounds of plastic out of it, you make one product that will just continue to grow with the child. And even though it does cost four times more, people are going to pay that so that way they don't have to pay the opportunity cost of replacing it every couple of years. And more to that kind of concept is the shift away from ownership and more into leasing. This has been common in the aerospace industry for a couple of years. And essentially the idea is if you buy a plane, you aren't really buying a plane. You're buying the rights to possess and use that plane. Whereas if anything does go wrong with it, it gets sent back to Boeing and they will replace whatever components need to be created. And this is a great idea simply because instead of replacing a product when it's done, these companies have incentive to keep their old products continuously working for years to come as it's way cheaper to simply replace $2,000 worth of parts than a $400,000 aircraft as a whole. And this could continue into many other industries, such as especially the automotive industry or even carpets in public buildings. Uh, If you've ever walked in any of Dow's campuses, you'll see that all of the carpets are cut into little squares. And that's that way if somebody comes by and destroys one of those sections, you can just rip it up and put a new piece of carpet down. And the school really doesn't own the carpet. They just pay a carpet company every couple months and they let us have that carpet for as long as we need it. And aside from those major redesign changes there's a few other products and i really encourage our listeners to go do their own research on this and see what they think would be the best option and also to write into us and let us know and we will talk about it in the future which would be great wow we learned a lot today we've talked about the difference between linear and circular economies we learned about single-use items and why they are so detrimental to the planet we learned about solutions we can implement at a smaller level and large level changes And let's leave you with some hope in the Canadian government. In Quebec, Canada has introduced a bill that protects consumers from planned obsolescence, providing amendments to the Consumers Protection Act. Now, here is a quick call for action. Let's take a little break and consider a single-use product we see almost every day. Coffee cups. Yes, the dreaded disposable coffee cup. We see them everywhere, every day. Think about every time you go to grab a takeaway coffee, that cup is disposed of, picked up by a truck, driven to a waste management facility, and will likely find itself underground in a landfill. Is it worth this? A super easy way, arguably one of the easiest ways, to reduce your own consumption of single-use products could simply be to bring your own reusable mug. I'm sure you have one. Some places in the HRM, like for example Dilly Dally, have incentives for their customers to bring their own cup. If you bring your own cup, they will give you a discount on your coffee. We call you all to take action to make the small change in your own life. Well, Alex, I had a really fun time speaking with you today on single-use materials. Me too. It was a great time learning all about the ins and outs of single-use products. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in our next episode. See ya. 
Do you have any questions or comments about our conversation today? Please send us an email at wtsust at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Maybe we'll even talk about it in a future episode. And a disclaimer, while this podcast is supported by the College of Sustainability at Dalhousie University, the thoughts and beliefs shared by hosts do not reflect the views of Dalhousie University.